This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. I am Francis Carlton. I am the Secret Keeper. As usual, this is the trigger warning. There may be tears, there may be laughter, some learning, some profanity, but you've been warned, so you can sit back, make yourself a cup of tea and relax as I talk to Jane. And she's going to share some secrets with us today. Welcome, Jane. Hi, Francis. Uh, Thanks for having me. And thank you for welcoming me into your home on top of a hill, a really big hill. So we're just outside Nowra. And um, it's remarkably green here compared to Canberra at the moment, which is which is wonderful. Um, so thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So let's start with um, how would you describe yourself in three words? <laughs> uh, introverted, intuitive, and tossing up between reflective and... Uh, a love of learning, you know, so mm. inquisitive. Mm. Yeah, reflective, inquisitive. That's cool. cool. Yeah. cool. <laughs> it's very good. Tell me a little bit more about reflective. Yeah. Well, I think it comes probably with introversion. I don't know. I've never been anything but an introvert, so I don't really know. But um, I just have ever since I can remember, which was probably age of four years old, it's like, does everyone see the sky blue? And why do adults do the things they do? And... You know, I could watch my thoughts at a very young age and I question things and then I'd question my behaviour and it's just something I've always done, mm. um, always. Mm. And I thought everyone did and they don't. They don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would see that in your, in your practice. So you, you have, a, you have a, a, practi- a private practice called Solvable. Yes. How do you, how do you spell Solvable? I, it's... It's easy to spell. It's hard for people to understand. So it's S-O-U-L-V-A-B-L-E, as in soul, heart and soul. Um, It's sort of, to me, summed up what I do. Mm. Which is reflective and holistic counselling. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, Spiritual and holistic counselling probably. Spiritual... It's a bit challenging, you know, I I come from a a very traditional corporate background originally and then trained as a counsellor about 20 years ago. Um, So I have a very, uh, you know, sort of academic training, if you like, and SOUL, S-O-U-L, to actually call my business solvable um, was a real challenge for me because I was sort of saying to the world, you know, I'm coming out of the spiritual closet. I'm actually talking about things that are of an esoteric and uh, spiritual nature, not religious, mm. but a spiritual nature, and that went against all my training. And so right. it was quite scary. So your training was more psychological? Uh, it, it was straight counselling. Mm. Um, I did do some psychology training when I was at university back in the dinosaur ages of the 1970s. <laughs> But even today's counselling is still, it's still very much based on a pseudoscientific model, um, whereas I guess mine's coming more from a a deeper place of spirit knowing 
I can only call it soul. So it's that it's that knowing that we all have that's underneath our thinking. Mm. So what was the issue with coming out of the spiritual closet? Uh, I thought that I would be rejected and laughed at by the traditional community, the traditional community of uh, counselling and psychology, um, the professional body for which at that time I actually happened to be one of the executive directors <laughs> um, of of the New South Wales branch. Yeah. Um, because, you know, even 15, 20 years ago it wasn't to talk about things that weren't pseudoscience was not really that okay. Mm. It's pretty new, you know. You'd, you'd there were there were people speaking, Marion Williamson and Jack Cornfield, and all these people were talking about, you know, the the spirit in psychology, but psychologists weren't, mm. doctors weren't. So was it a little bit sort of a little bit hippie? Was that part of the issue with it? Yeah, hippie. Yes, it probably harked back to that. This you can't prove this. You can't you can't do research on it. You can't. Um, show the efficacy of it. Yeah, so it was that real evidence-based models, you know, cognitive behaviour therapy. Correct. And I suppose back in the 70s and sort of in the 80s and 90s even, we hadn't even got to dialectal behaviour therapy it, it, at that exactly. point. We hadn't we hadn't gone beyond yep. cognitive behaviour therapy. Yeah. And, and okay. also, you know, based on my own, I don't know if it was my experience, but just again, again because I, I do reflect and I do research and read a lot, um, and really hear people, it's just a lot of people have said that that they don't feel heard um, in, in counselling or, or, you know, with a, with a psych, psychologist or psychiatrist or anyone, doctors, whatever. And when I was unpacking that with people, it's like, what do you mean? It's like, I just don't feel they get what I'm saying. I just don't feel they get me. They're trying to sort of fix me and give me tools, but this is deeper than that, mm. right? And and so what I try to do, and I think, you know, quite frankly very successfully with the people that I work with, is we, we get to that real inner self, not not the superficial, if you like, self. So the real, so that inner is that sort of like that sort of like that past history that they have, their childhood. It's their... even deeper than that. Okay. Yeah. It's it is it is that, but it's it's deeper than that because you know the three strengths. One of my strengths is intuition, and it's just like I thought again that everyone is naturally intuitive. Everyone is does have in, they are able to be intuitive, but a lot of us have never gone there. It's it's like when you walk into a room and you can f- and there's people there and you can feel the energy of the room. You can mm. feel if an argument's been happening. That's that inner knowing that's beyond anything else. It's it's that intuition. It's that knowing. It's that sense of something that you can't even put into words, but is you can feel. You, is it something that you can learn that you can hone? I believe it is. Mm. It, it, what it takes is to not believe your thinking, not your, Francis, but yes. <laughs> anyone's thinking mind. It's to recognise we are not our thinking mind. Our thinking mind is something that we experience, but we are beyond or before our thinking mind. The real we is, is not yeah. the thinking mind and that's the spiritual side of it Yeah, because it's non-material. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we do live in a material world. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I, I think there is a place for a you know, all the modalities of counselling, I still think there's a place for that. But it's like what 
what what do I, Jane, bring to the 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 meeting of with the other person? It's like I, I might use a particular technique, sure, but it's like, am I really present and connecting with the essence? Is my essence, my inner inner energy connecting with the inner energy of the other person that's beyond their current story, their current fears, their current, you know, expect it's it's beyond that. It's that knowing that's beyond all of it. Right. And it's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. Is it something you can demonstrate, do you think? With you now? Yeah. I, the only way I could do that is if we had a dialogue and it happened, but I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did try having a demonstration of kinesiology once and it, I didn't, don't think it quite translated to podcast. Yeah, I, yeah, it'll be interesting with our conversation um, whether you feel that the conversation has moved you to a, a different place internally. You, you can tell me. Mm. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll let you, we, we'll, we'll do a check-in at the end. We'll do a check-in at the end. So when, we, when, we're, coming, when we're coming into a room, for instance, yep. and we're coming from a thinking place yep. rather than an emotional, deeper place, yes. we're shutting ourselves off to so many opportunities, yes. I understand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if let me give an example. Um, this this is a, a funny example and it's simple, but it's quite profound. A few weeks, a few weeks ago, a few years ago, I worked in a local primary school as a wellbeing officer. So I was working with children who, you know, just just some of them were in dire straits and others just weren't um, happy. Mm. And this one very bright girl came in to me one day and she just said, "I'm just feeling, you know." I feel like I've got my jealousy glasses on. And I went, what do you mean? And she said, well, everywhere I look, I'm just, I'm jealous. And she said, but I can't get my jealousy glasses off. And and I said, well, what would it take? And she said, well, I just have to make a choice to take the glasses off. And I said, let's go ahead. So we did a visualisation about her taking off the jealousy glasses. And I said, well, what glasses would you like to put on? And she said, well, I'd like to put on glasses of acceptance. And I said, well, let's do that. And that's all it took. It was a very simple thing. She'd come up with the metaphor of the jealousy glasses mm. anyway. But when we think about it, that's what we all do. Mm. You know, we've all got a set of glasses on at any, I know you're wearing glasses, so I, yeah, I do. Know, I, I, but, I do wear glasses. But, yes. but, those, <laughs> but those glasses are helping you focus in a particular way, right? Oh, absolutely. And I know that whenever I walk into a, uh, yesterday, I, I where was I yesterday? I'd been outside somewhere and because my glasses are actually the reactor light ones, so they'd gone dark and I walked into to darkness right. and, I, and I actually had to stop. And I said to him, I actually said the words out loud, let me just get my light back on while I just, because I literally couldn't see anything because they'd gone so dark because right. it was so bright yeah. outside. So, so, so those glasses were not serving you anymore. No, they absolutely weren't. No, I had I actually had to stop yeah. and re, re, wait for them to wait for wait for my glasses to catch up with yeah. Yeah. what I wanted to be doing. So, and that does happen occasionally. Sometimes I'm really aware of it, and then other times I'm not so aware yeah. of it. Yeah, and and yeah. and so it can be thinking. You know, we could be having a certain thinking of like, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Glasses on. Yes, and then we walk into a room and like you know everything feels that way, and it's it's it's. It's not to make those thoughts wrong. It's just to recognise that we're having them and therefore mm. it's filtering the way we see things, the way we do things, the way we respond to things, you know, anything. Or it could mm. be, 
you know, I'm the responsible one. I have to be responsible for everything. So everywhere we go, that's mm. what we're seeing in front of us. Mm. Well, that's what I was like when I was a teenager. <laughs> I was always the sober one. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was never actually that. sober, but I was always the sober one. <laughs> Maybe my intuition was picking up on it. <laughs> Possibly, quite possibly. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it, yeah, it's interesting because we do go into we do go into situations. I think where we do have that um, that with, I, I call it filters. Like yes, it depends what exactly. our, it, it's our filters, and I, I do talk to my clients quite a lot yes. about well, what filter are you? Yeah. What filter are you? What filter is that person hearing through? Yeah. When you say something to them. Yeah. And so, most people won't know because they haven't. They're just doing life, mm. if that makes sense. It's mm. like in, you know, the, the spiritual, holistic sort of, and not just that, but this this sense of, you know, I am, I have a name called Jane and I am female and I am this and that, but, but the real I is just the awareness that comes through me and mm. the awareness that comes through you. And so you've got the Francis version of life awareness and I've got the Jane version of life awareness and someone else has got their version of life awareness. Mm. And it's like ultimately that's all we are. Mm. Everything else is made up. Mm. And so when I'm working with people, we explore what we made up. Yeah. Because it's all made up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did we make up? I'm pretty sure there's quite a lot of stuff that we make up. <laughs> <laughs> there's quite a lot of stuff that we make up. Yeah, a lifetime's worth, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking that the, the older the older we get, the more we make up too. Can do, unless we're aware that that's what we do and we stop doing it. Which how can you do that? Be so this, aware that you're making it yes, up in but, the first so, place. So, so, this, so this kind of falls into that pattern of I know what I know, I know what I don't know, and I don't know what I don't know. Yeah, and people are scared to not know what they don't know. And part of the whole, you know, spiritual holistic side of it, and it, this isn't a, a school of thought, this is a school, if you like, of non-thought mm. um, because... You know, I used to be scared, very scared of not knowing what I didn't know. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I believe, one of my biggest beliefs for ever in this lifetime, and I'm not, I don't know whether I've had past lives or not, and I don't, it's not the issue. It's doesn't, this, this life is enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not knocking if there's other lives, but this life we can learn everything in this life. Let's just deal with one yeah, at yeah, a time. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But in this life, you know, up until I didn't, I have always believed I need to be in control. I need to know enough and learn enough and and be in control. And I never I never have been. I just thought I was anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so not being in control was very scary and not knowing what I didn't know was even scarier. And so when I started to awaken to realise all these thoughts that were limiting me, I began to realise that I felt every day a sense of anxiety, not high-grade anxiety, but a little bit of like I'm always looking over my shoulder because I've got to figure out what might go wrong next because it always does. Mm. So that sense of you've got to be on guard all your life, that was my thing. You've always got to be on the lookout for something. Yeah. Gonna, now, something's going to go wrong. Yeah, and I, you know, could tell you that happened from my childhood, and it did, and all. Of, it doesn't doesn't matter. But that was my pervading worldview. And when you have that pair of glasses on, life is very, very, very wearing, mm. <laughs> if you like. 
Mm. Um, and when I, I, I just got to a point where I just, it's got to be a better way than this. Mm. Like I'm like this. This is not fun. Well, you had a you had a um, you had a watershed moment mm. in your life mm. um, in the early in the early two thousands. Mm. Can you tell me a little yeah, bit sure. about that? I, I got um, cancer, rectal cancer, when I was yeah, two thousand and two. I don't mind telling my age. I'm sixty one now. I was roughly forty four then, and had a fourteen year old daughter, um, and I needed to have chemo and radiation therapy, possibly an um, operation as well. Uh, I didn't have an operation, but I, and I obviously survived because I'm still here. Mm. Um, and it was uh, a fantastic wake up call, like the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Um, it was uncomfortable, it was painful, it was uh, shattering. Um, I, could, I, I became a different person physically. I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do. The cancer wasn't the issue. The treatment was the issue and I just physically just was half the person that I, that I used to be for a good number of years. Um, and it was fantastic because I had to review every bit of my life and, and you know, I, I watched myself for a year or two after I had cancer and I, I laugh at it now and I think I sort of laughed at it even while I was crying, mm. was that I recognised I was trying, the best way I can describe it and have described it, it was like I was trying to make the old cake but I didn't have the same ingredients anymore. So the old cake of my old life, because people yes. said to me, you know, it's only a matter of time and you'll get back to normal. And so the old cake was normal. Yes. And I couldn't, get, I couldn't make normal. Mm. So it took a while to realise, well, maybe I should make a new cake with the ingredients that I have got yeah. <laughs> rather than trying to wait to, to make the old cake. Yeah. And that was just a massive turning point. It was just like, okay, life as I knew it will never be or probably won't ever be, and I didn't know that, and that was not knowing the not knowing, and that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about I live with the uncertainty and create from nothing and that's been the journey I've been on for the last 18 years. Wow. And it's been so worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got cancer five years again after that. And at that time, I'm not going to go through the whole story of cancer. I'm not even going to bother telling you. It was a different type of cancer. And at the time I got cancer, that time I was actually writing a, a, a program for cancer survivors on living well after cancer. Right. And, and the strategies to put into place. So you, so you can, were taking your new cake analogy and writing it down for other people. And, and, you and I had half written it when I was diagnosed with cancer for the second time. So guess what? I got to practice it all in real time, time. and it works. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying I'm, you know, guru, got it all together, never have any issues. That's not true. But life is a hell of a lot easier and I just want to help other people get outside of their cages as well because we create the cages ourselves. It doesn't, and, and, and I know some people are going to be upset hearing this and I'm not going to talk about my childhood, but it wasn't a good childhood. There was abuse and neglect. There were issues. There was mental health and the f issues in the family. I'm not going to go into any of that all to say that we can all be in a cage and we can all get out of it. Mm. It is possible. Mm. It is possible. Mm. But not necessarily by the old techniques we, we've, we've either trained ourselves or even, you know, might try to help other people with. They don't always work. Sometimes we've just got to be get back to real basics, mm. which is that honouring 
trusting, hearing the other person and seeing beyond beyond their current story because it's this current story which could mm. be the very thing that's limiting them. Mm. And if we just help shuffle the story, we haven't helped them at all. We've so just if, helped them live with the story. So when so when you're talking about that 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 cage. So yeah. for instance, if we're living if we have experienced trauma in our life yes. for instance, yes. um and we are we're just moving that trauma around rather than actually dealing with it and going away from it. We're still in that cage. Yes. So we actually need to get out of that cage, whether that's going through the top, breaking the bars, breaking the lock, whatever it is, we need to actually get out of the cage. Yes, and sometimes the best, and not everyone is going to agree with this and it it isn't this easy for everyone. Sometimes mm. there has to be a often, or well, I don't know what the percentage is, so I, I sometimes, I'll just say sometimes, people need to get to a certain level of awareness to be able to, I guess, do what or experience what I was lucky enough to experience. But, you know, sometimes people say, I've got to put boundaries around myself to protect myself. And it's sort of like, it's not true. I mean, it is true until it's not, because mm. if we're coming from the inside out, there's nothing to protect. Mm. We're not worried about what other people think of us. We're not worried about this. We're not concerned about that because we have that inner mm. sense of self. The cage that that often well the, the cage that I had, I thought I had. I looked for a door. I looked for a window. I couldn't find anything to get out. But then I realised I'd created it inside. So all I needed to do is to recognise the cages is only as real as my thoughts in the first place. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Do you think people need boundaries though when that while they're learning? Yes. That part. Yes. They, yes. They so do. when they've gone from. When they've gone and they've said, I need to make change. Yes. Like somebody, somebody comes in and they've, you know, they've been living this life of, um, of being a trauma survivor yep. or whatever it is. We'll use trauma because yep. that's yep. something familiar to both of us. Mm-hmm. You have, you've, I've lived this life of trauma. I've been living this, you know, my, my life and my worldview is totally informed by that trauma. Yep. The way I interact with people is completely... Um, informed by that trauma. Yes. And I've realised that I actually don't have any boundaries, so therefore everyone's taking advantage of me because I don't know how to say no. Yes. But now they want to learn something different. Is it important to build up those boundaries to start off with so that they can start exploring their inner self? There's no one one answer to that. Uh, The practitioner, if we're talking for counsellors here, um, the practitioner... needs to sense how um, lost, if you like, the the person. I mean that sincerely. It's not a judgment. It's just like how how lost they are from from themselves. Mm. Because if if one has lived a lifetime of um, uh, feeling like a victim and feeling that, you have to do whatever it takes just to survive. And that, you know, I, I, I get that. I have family members who are like that. Um, it's too far for me to say to them, you're making, you know, it's all happened to you, but you, you, you don't have to live the, you know, that's, that's, that's way too far away from their current reality. Yeah. But I can um, suggest to them that, you know, 
I encourage you to start taking your power back. And it's not the language that I'd use, but I'm sort of shrinking back what yeah. would be a half-hour conversation. It's like, you know, this is this is all hurting you because you've forgotten that you can, that you you are strong, that you yeah. that you're that that other people aren't responsible for yeah. your. You, what am I trying to say? Not responsible, but. We we give our power away to other people, and we get used to that, and we mm. and we then think we have to get permission from people, or we have to protect ourselves from people, and it's all because they're the experiences we've had, and we now mm. think that that's the only way, mm. right? So, I I would be working with people both ways. I would be listening to their story, but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be playing with. I wouldn't be, and I'd be hearing that that story is real for them mm. and and at the same time I would be saying and we need to work ben- beneath that mm. to help you create and find the resources mm. to do it differently. Mm. So it, it has to be with utmost respect. Like oh yes. It's it it it's you know it it I it could sound to people listening that I'm saying, oh, well, that's just a story, it's rubbish, they should just get over it. I'm not saying that. I am saying we can get over it because we are all more than our experiences and it's, the meaning we've made to it. It's interesting you say that. I, 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 I've, I, had, a, I had a client who was having some difficulty with family, uh, with, with family dynamics and this person went on a family picnic and previously it had been you know, that once the picnic had finished, everyone would get the glad wrap out and they'd wrap everything up and then everything would get taken home and put in the fridge and probably not eaten and then thrown out a week later. And what this client did was when she was at this family picnic with everybody in the usual family dynamics, and she'd been working with me for a few months by this point, and she just threw the chicken wings away there and then. And I just looked at her and kind of went... Wow. She was like, what? 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 I said, you threw the chicken wings away. And that's what actually become a, an ongoing thing because something that seemingly is so insignificant to so many people, that was such a powerful moment where she took her power back that was just, it was just an absolutely groundbreaking moment for yes. her. Yes. And, and, you know, those habits that we just, unthinkingly do or we feel, oh, I can't I can't break away from them. I mean, a mm. personal example was when I was 30, I, I had an epiphany before I had my cancer, but then I forgot most of what I learned in the epiphany, so then I had to have <laughs> cancer. Anyway, <laughs> so, but in my 30s, I decided that, you know, I was, I was very successful in the in the retail corporate world, I was married, I had a young child, we had a holiday house, we had a live-in nanny, we had the two cars in the brand name cars in the garage and we went on holidays everywhere. Life was perfect except every way, every morning I would wake up going, if this is all there is, this is not great, all right? So I just decided to chuck it, chuck it all away and, and yet it took me a year to make that decision and the reason it took a year, the main reason, was that no one in my family had ever been divorced. Wow. No one in my family had ever been divorced. And I grew up, didn't grow up, but I spent most of my life living a very um, upper middle class uh, existence 
uh, with my grandmother who was, you know, more British than the British and I loved her dearly. But that whole you don't, you know, you you you, you get married, you make your bed, you lie in it, you don't wash, show your dirty linen on the line or what, all those Stoic, things. Stoicism and all of that. Don't and show emotion outside correct. the family. Correct, all, all that, that sort of stuff. stuff. So, again, limiting beliefs, glasses, whatever you want to call. Yeah. And... And I had to make it, well, I didn't have to. I, Well, I did. I could have made a decision to stay. But it's like, okay, do I make a decision to keep living my life based on the great Australian dream that I bought into or do I start again and really live the life that I feel I need to live even though I had no idea what it was? I just knew what it wasn't. Mm. And I made the choice to go with I don't know but I've got to get out of here. So you made that choice to go into the unknown. Yep. So you've been doing that quite a lot by the uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's probably one of my, um, I think it's one of my things. If we had another word, it would probably be like boundary buster or something. Well, <laughs> a, loving, a, loving, a love of learning I think yeah. would, would certainly cover that because, yeah. you know, if you're constantly pushing yourself into that realm of I know that I don't know this thing but I'm going to go towards it anyway, you're going to be learning as you go. Correct. And it and it, it's it's for me it there was at some point you know there was this inner fight for or probably still is there but it, but but the going with the unknown wins most often now. Mm. But this sort of sense of absolute desire for safety because of you know my childhood experiences like safety is really important. Mm. But so is living a creative juicy life, whatever that means. And mm. it does for me, it doesn't mean lots of money. And it did for a while, up mm. until my 30s. Mm. I did that well. Yeah. Um, but it's like, and, and they were in conflict. But because I reflect, I had this natural capacity to reflect, I could see that going on inside of me. Most people can't. They just feel the discomfort. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, they just can't figure where that discomfort comes right. from. Whereas Something's I, not right, right. but where, I don't know what correct. it is. Whereas I could yeah. see the, you know, cognitive dissonance yeah. <laughs> internally. Technical term. Technical term for you've got two things in your mind and they're fighting each other. Yes. Basically. Yeah. That, it's the it's yeah. the it's it's a term that you'll hear quite a lot in things and a lot of people don't understand. And it's a very clever term and it all it means is you want your ice cream but you don't. That's yeah. pretty much all it means. <laughs> what a wonderful way of putting it. <laughs> I love that. You want your well, ice cream. You want cream, your ice but cream you and you want to lose weight, you know? Cognitive yeah. dissonance at its best. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I think there's so many things that everybody has, the, the, the cognitive dissonance, absolutely. Um, yes, definitely. And, and anxiety, you know, that, mm. that anxiety that a lot of us feel, and, and I don't know why I'm saying this because it's probably got nothing to do with it, but it just wants to be said, is the, dif- is the distance between what's going on and what we want to go on. That, that's anxiety. Mm. It's like, you know, we, we have a picture of what we want, should, could, blah, 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 and this is happening and the anxiety is the distance between them. Mm. Mm. So what do you change? You can't change what's happening, so maybe we need to change what we think. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm a, I do a lot of narrative okay. work. So it's interesting because when we, when, when that, that, that picture you were just painting, yep. the distance between what we want and what we, and what's actually happening, yep. in narrative we would say, um, private and public testimony. Okay. So what's happening in private? So what's what we keep to ourselves? Yeah. And then what everybody knows about us and okay. what they what they understand our beliefs and wants and dreams and desires to be. So quite often when I see clients, 
you've got, you know, you've got the person who whose family expect this behaviour, but actually I'm over here living this life and it doesn't feel right because the gap between the two is so far. Right. <laughs> so we want it to be kind of a little bit Venn diagram where there's a little bit of overlap, not a complete overlap. We never want life to be a complete circle, but we want a little bit of overlap and a little bit of a sort of a gap so that there's, there is stuff that we keep private and that we do, you know, to, for ourselves, for our own enjoyment. And then there's that stuff that everybody, you know, they know that then they know we're a bit wacky. They know that we're a bit out there, but we don't necessarily show it all the time. Right. So it's, it's about yeah. closing that gap, which is what you were saying. Mm. So sort of it's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting thing to see that gap closing mm. with clients. Mm. What do you feel when you see, because we are very much in the nature of working ourselves out of a job every time we take a new client on. That's what we I do. I hope, yes. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> what we do. It's like um, I was explaining to somebody the other day, I said, yeah, I said, I've, in my whole life I think I've worked in jobs where I've actively working myself out of a job, <laughs> change management consultant and then counsellor. So, yeah, what do you feel when you get to a point where you're like, this client's ready? Joyous. Mm. That, that, like, truly, it's a, I feel it now, it's just like, when I know that someone's, you know, flying the nest, so to speak, um, I just feel joyous. Mm. That's it. Mm. It's only what I can say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a wonderful feeling when you can actually get to the point where a client can kind of mm. say goodbye. I don't need another appointment. Yep. Yeah, it's a wonderful feeling. Wonderful feeling. So lastly, before we head off, um, Introverted. Mm. How's introverted affected you in your life? Um, well, it makes you live on the top of a mountain not very far from anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, thank God. With no clocks on the wall. With no clocks on the wall, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's been my greatest blessing and I've, it's probably, you know, been in, the, in my early days one of my greatest challenges as well because I didn't understand why I felt like I didn't fit in mm. um, because we live in an extroverted world and it's more and more and more extra. I'm not saying there's more extroverted people, but there's mm. more everything is happening in the ex, in the exterior. It's m more superficial and, and it's all out there. And an introvert means that, for those that don't know, and introverts are the minority of people, um, introverts need to spend a lot of time in solitude, they um, lose, in, I lose energy if I'm with people for too long. Um, if I go to a shopping centre, I can be exhausted within an hour. Going to parties feels like hell. Mm. Um, not really hell, but it's just like it's not fun. Mm. Um, so, are you, a are you a kitchen partier if you do go to a party? I, I don't go to parties. Okay. Did you used to though? Uh, yes, I'd find one or two people to talk with and, and you know, just have a nice In the quiet corner. Yeah, usually yeah. out the back or in the kitchen or yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm a kitchen party. <laughs> you'll always find me in the kitchen yeah. at a party. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so sort of that sense of uh, not fitting in. But when I realised I didn't need to fit in, like when you let the cognitive, that, that, that distance between everybody's out there doing stuff and I'm over here, but if I let go of feeling like I need to be like everybody else, it's okay to be me, it's okay to want to 
be at home. And mm. and then when I realised being an introvert actually helps me understand life in the universe in general and it actually has helped me understand myself, not, not from a, well, probably was for a while, egotistical point of view, but from a, if I know myself, then I know people. It's not, it's not just about knowing me, it's knowing how people tick mm. and knowing how the world ticks. And because extroverts rarely have time to look at what's going on and how they feel, introverts spend most of their time doing that. Mm. And I would guess that if we looked at it, most, most people who are probably in the real healing professions are probably introverts. Mm. Most of the, um, and I'm not uh, one of these, but most of the, what do you call them, um, creators and inventors are introverts because they spend time inside, mm. in, in, their, in their being. They more tend to be more connected to something which is unnameable. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so a spirituality. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Spirituality without being religion. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So extroverts are absolutely, you know, I'm, I've, I've got most of my friends are extroverts <laughs> uh, and, they, and they now accept me being an introvert and vice versa because I tell them, I explain what it's like because people don't know. No. If, you're not, if you're not an introvert, you have no idea. They, they just thought that I was, uh, I didn't like them because I didn't want to hang out at parties. It's like, no, 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 it's just really hard for me to do it. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not shy. I'm not, a, I mean, you can tell, I'm not a shy person. No. But I can't spend too much, too much time in the company of too many people. It mm. just tires me out. Mm. It's just the way I, and that, that I could, someone out there is probably going, oh, but that's just a limiting glass, glasses belief. If I put meaning to what an introvert means, yes. But an introvert is just a state of energy and I used to put a lot of mean, introverts can't do this, introverts can do that, extroverts can. Mm. I just let go of all of that and going, I have no idea what an introvert can or can't do, mm. but I know my nature is one that needs to spend time in solitude and quiet. The rest will flow mm. on from there. So any introverts out there, drop all the, all the story that you have about being an introvert, just accept that there's an introvert energy and there's an extrovert energy and it doesn't mean Anything else? What do you think about ambivert energy? I don't even know what that is. Oh. So you're teaching me a new word. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so there's a theory now that the sort of like there's on a, on a scale, there's introverts at one end and there's extroverts at the other end. And the people that are kind of in the middle would be ambiverts. So they will either, that they're, they're able to exist in our extrovert world, but they still recharge Okay. Like an introvert would, yeah. but they're able to function very, very well in an extra, extrovert world. Yeah. But they need that solitary recharge time. Uh-huh. So they can go to a party and they can be the life and love of a party for an hour, a couple of hours, but then they'll crash for the, for the next day. So it's about that being in that sort of middle space yeah. on a on a. On a Continuum, I think yeah, it is. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it's about being in the middle. Yeah, and I and I would um, guess that quite a few ambiverts have, are um, introverts that have learnt how to live in an extrovert world. Yes. And I would put myself on, you know, if it was a scale of ten as an extrovert, one as an introvert, I'd put myself on probably a three to four because I've because living working in the corporate world, I had to learn yes. how to behave in certain ways. 
Um, but I think the more ambiverts that we have, the better off the world's going to be because then we're able to deal with, you know, the human world and have our rich inner world as well and, mm. and balance those two. And it is about balance. You know, I I try to balance because, you know, we do live in an extrovert world and I and I need to come to the metaphorical party. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> heaven forbid that we go to a physical one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I, 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 it's important. It's important. We, we need to communicate in all the languages of the world, the introvert language, the extrovert language, the, you know, all the different languages. We need to keep talking to each other because that's where we learn. Yes. You know, we don't learn by just talking to other introverts or yeah. just talking to, we need to learn, which is part of that learning again. <laughs> it is, absolutely, that reflective questioning, yeah. love of learning, yeah. <laughs> intuitive, yes, introverted, all these wonderful things. I must admit I find that people who have got this desire to, the people that I have met who have this real sort of like craving for learning do tend to be on the more introverted scale because they are able to sit and contemplate and reflect and study and be in their own space and their own company and be comfortable with it. Mm. So so one last question <laughs> before we go. Um, thank you so much for having me, um, but into, especially into your space, being such an introvert. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> um, what do you see is the mental health future in Australia? Uh, the same as the rest of the world. Um, it's not heading down a great path at the moment, um, which is why I think more it, it's it's really important. The reason why I think mental health is is um, is likely to get potentially get worse is because of the fact that more and more people are feeling disquieted for all sorts of reasons and in that disquiet they are reaching out into the world, out for distraction, out for entertainment, out for noise, out for alcohol, drugs, out for anything because we have told them that that's what they should do for a start, we mm. being the media, being mm. retail, being pretty much everything social media, and so people are getting more and more disconnected from spirit, from soul, which in my opinion is where they need to go. Mm. So mental health is, is, is a consequence of people not knowing who they really are. And that's mm. a big call and not everyone's going to agree with me and that's perfectly fine. It is absolutely fine. That's <laughs> one of the reasons why I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to make this podcast is because it actually starts a lot of conversations. Yeah, because if we buy into all the stories about we've got to have the right number of friends on Facebook and we've got to have the right car and we've got to have a job, let alone the right job, but we're not a good, we're not a good person unless we have a job or, you know, we're not right wearing the right clothes or whatever it is, whatever stuff we buy into, it is going to make our mental health worse. Mm. It is. Mm. Um, so what's the antidote of that? Recognising that who we are has got nothing to do with out there. Mm. So there is a possibility that more people will choose to recognise. It's not to say you can't buy your, your goodies and have the great job and all of that. It's like, you know, I'm not living in poverty 
Um, I'm also not living in great wealth for those that can't see my house, but it's yeah. it's 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 recognizing and and hopefully encouraging that you can live a really good and enjoyable and fun life um, from the inside out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, inside out. Thank you, Jane, so much for welcoming me into your home. Thank you. Thank you to Jane, my guest today, for sharing her secrets and opening up her home and her heart to me. <laughs> Thank you to Nick McCorriston, my podcast guy, who's going to top and tail this for me. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening, subscribing and rating and supporting on Patreon over at um, Secrets We Share on Patreon. As Patreon. If you have a secret that you would like to share, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email via secretkeepercounseling.com.au. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.